welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Amen, amen. How y'all doing today? Come on, a little bit better than that. There's a lot of energy in here. How y'all doing today? Amen, amen, amen. So yes, I have the honor of being the senior pastor at Freedom Life and get to connect with Pastor Bardo, Pastor Gladys. Thank you, Pastor Brian, Pastor Sandra. Thank you all so much for inviting us here into your fellowship. It's an honor. Uh, you can tell when you're in a church that, that prays because the spirit moves so easily. Uh, and this is a house of prayer, and so I'm excited to be here. And we'll just see what God wants to do if that's all right with you guys. Amen. Amen. Y'all beautiful people. Man, y'all look good. Just look at somebody and say, you look good. Uh, before I give out too many more compliments, let me say, my wife, Jennifer, uh, she, uh, it grieved her that she couldn't join me. She has a court case tomorrow, so she has to be back at our home in Virginia tomorrow morning. So she had to, she's on an airplane right now. She's in a Newark airport waiting for her connection. She flew out of San Antonio this morning. Please pray for her. She's facing some serious charges. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. She, uh, there was an accident, and she was uh, hit by a, a driver, and the, they're contesting it, so she, she has to go to court. She asked me yesterday, she said, Honey, what do you think will happen? I mean, like, the, the, we already got the insurance check. and all, what, what do you think will happen if I just skip court? And I was like, I don't think we should find out. I think, you know, let's just honor that you need to be there to testify what happened. And, but if not, she would be right here with you, grateful to meet you and see you as well. I just want you to know that. So anyway, um, yeah, so we're going to go on a journey today. And I want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Um, I found something out. I actually went and listened to some of the messages Pastor Brian's been preaching, and I, and I love, it's always amazing when you run into somebody who's equipping people with the keys to the kingdom. Because I feel like often we don't realize, the, the body of Christ doesn't realize the precious gift that we've been given in the promises of God. And I heard something fascinating recently I want to share with you. Uh, on July 29th of this year, something interesting happened. Uh, there's, a, there's a little town called Des Plaines, Illinois. Uh, I, I also serve as a, my, my mentor pastor church in Illinois. So my wife and I, we live in Virginia and in Illinois. And about 20 minutes from our home in Illinois, there's a little town called Des Plaines. And on July 29th of this year, somebody walked into a, a grocery, I mean, a, a speedway or whatever, um, gas station and they purchased a lottery ticket because I don't know if y'all I know none of you play the lottery amen but if you heard about it the the, the mega millions had gotten up to one, over one billion dollars you hear about this anybody hear about this okay so all these people went and bought lottery tickets somebody won 1.34 billion dollar lottery and only one winner now, I'm not promoting the lottery because I heard a saying once, the lottery is a tax for people who are not good at mathematics. So, uh, you know, uh, but what I'm telling you is this is fascinating. There was an article released about a week ago, uh, maybe two. To date, the winner of that lottery has not claimed their prize. $1.34 billion. One winner who has a ticket and hasn't turned it in. And the lottery officials are releasing this information because they're afraid that there's somebody out there who's a billionaire and doesn't even realize that they won. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, you can feel however you want to feel about the lottery and all that stuff. But the point is this. I wonder if that person's conversations would change if they knew they were a billionaire. I wonder if they would 
think differently about the cost of gas. I wonder if whatever tensions they were facing at work last week wouldn't seem as significant if they realized they had a ticket in their pocket worth $1.34 billion. I wonder what, what they would think about if they have children and, and if they're worried about their kids and college and tuition. I wonder how those worries would shift if they realized they had access to $1.34 billion. I wonder what stress is in their life simply because they haven't taken the time to read the information that they have. And then I was reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Pastor Brian quoted it this morning, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the so be it, is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what $1.3 billion can't buy you? Supernatural healing. You know what $1.3 billion can't buy you? Peace. You know what $1.3 billion can't buy you? Contentment. You know what $1.3 billion cannot buy you? Fellowship, family, spiritual inheritance, legacy. You give me that ticket or you give me this one, I'm gonna take this one all day, every day, because it is yes and amen. He cannot lie. And if it's in here, it is guaranteed by him and you are the recipient. I want you to know today, that his promises are yes and amen, and they are for you. They are for today. They are for right now. And with that in mind, I would love to study a little bit from his word if we could. There's a journey that you guys have been going through about kingdom identity, and I hope you took it serious. If you missed it, I hope you do what I did and go to the YouTube channel and go watch the messages because they are profound. When we understand our kingdom citizenship, we understand our bill of rights, that we are, we are ambassadors of a foreign world, a foreign kingdom, and where we walk here, we represent that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So I hope you know what you got in your hand. I hope you know who's the guarantor. And if not, then maybe today you'll meet him. I'm going to pray for us before we go into the journey, but we're going to spend our time in the book of Luke chapter 24, but I want to pray. So if you don't mind joining me in prayer, I'd love to just invite the Holy Spirit to teach us because he's the best teacher. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that you are honored here. We thank you that, that this is a familiar house for you, God. We thank you, Lord, that if we set, as we set ourselves to your word, as we set ourselves to learn from you, that you bring it to life inside of us. And I pray, dear God, that you would take the, the words that, that the apostles wrote down for us and you'd bring them to life, Lord God, and that you would deposit into each of us exactly what we need to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray hope for the hopeless, comfort for those who mourn. Lord God, I pray, Father God, joy for those in mourning, Father God. I pray, Lord God, that your word would bear fruit, fruit that will last. Lord, I pray for clarity for the confused. Lord, I pray for a renewal of faith for those who are discouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 24 today. And if you could, we could. I'm just going to read through the passage, and then we're going to take some examination of it. Is that all right? Does that sound good? So let's start in verse 13. As, uh, I'll give you a little backdrop. Uh, the, it is the, the Sunday after the crucifixion. 
You've probably heard this passage before. It's preached a lot on Good Friday services or sometimes on Resurrection Sunday services. There's a couple of people, and they're on a journey. They have seen Jesus crucified on Friday, or at least heard about it. Uh, they are part of the followers of Jesus, so they're, they're among the, the believers, and, and they um, know that Jesus was buried. They, they, they had set their hope in him, but then they saw him, uh, his body physically destroyed, and and. and and it's before they have access to the knowledge, the gnosko, the experiential knowledge of the resurrection. But there's rumors circulating that something's going on. And they decide to pack up their toys and go home. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, resurrected Jesus, came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And I find it fascinating that sometimes the presence of God can be right next to it, right next to us, but for whatever reason, we can be so distracted we don't even recognize him. Lord, I pray against distraction today in Jesus' name. May we feel your presence drawing close to us, walking alongside us as we walk our journey. Where was I? I have ADHD, so that'll happen a lot. So if someone just tells me what verse to go back to, I won't take it personal. 17, thank you. So Jesus, resurrected Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleophas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> I think he's, the, he's probably the one with the most expertise about what had happened. I also think like, it's funny how Jesus kind of sneaks in there like that. Like, like first, like, I don't know if he kept them from recognizing him or they were just too busy staring at the dirt that they didn't recognize. I don't really know, but I know that when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. What questions has God been asking you lately? Maybe it has less to do with information he needs and more to do with reflection that we need. Just a thought. All right. So he says, he has a second question. What things? They said, don't you know what happened? He's like, what you talking about? <laughs> what things? And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> They're talking to Jesus about Jesus. Okay, I don't know. I, I, it's funny to me. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, here are some of the heaviest words to me in the entire New Testament. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. I'm going to pause again. We had hoped... The loss of hope is a big deal, isn't it? Anybody in here ever experienced the loss of some hope? Can we be real, church? Is Access Church, y'all a real church? We keep it real in Virginia. We keep it real in Chicago. We keep it real in San Antonio. So I'm going to expect y'all to keep it real. Anybody ever experienced the loss of hope? If not, live long enough and you might find yourself wrestling with that. We had hopes he was the one. 
We had set our hope. We had set our belief. We had waited from the prophet Malachi. There was silence from heaven. There was not another prophet for 400 years until one day John the Baptist showed up in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Guess what, guys? Hope is coming. We had hoped since Malachi had prophesied that one day the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his rays, healing in his wings. We had hoped for 400 years when the, when the Maccabean revolts were happening and this person said he was a Messiah and he said he was a Messiah and we got swords and we, we had hoped that we could overthrow Rome only to see another Messiah kill another false Messiah, killed another false Messiah killed, another Maccabean revolution, destroyed. We had hoped that one day all this stuff would change, and this time it felt different because this time he was doing the stuff. He wasn't just talking about the kingdom. He was about the kingdom. He didn't just say that my father brings healing. He healed. He didn't, he didn't just, just say that he, he had come to, to turn the, the tables. He flipped them in the temple. He didn't just come talking about how his father had more than enough. He actually took some bread and some fish, and he took the bread. He, he blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He fed 5,000 men, plus the women and the children. Isn't that amazing that, 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 that Jesus... We know how many men were there. There were 5,000. How many women were there? How many children were there? I love this church. You know why? Because I can hear the noise of children. You see, they're in a society where there was predominantly driven by men. So it would be normal that they counted the 5,000 men and then it says, and the women and the children. Here's what wasn't normal. Are you ready? Check this out. You ready? This is our God. They said, we know exactly how many men there are. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. How many of those men brought lunch? Where did they get the five loaves of bread and the two fish? From that one little kid whose mom said, oh, I don't care who's in town preaching. You are not leaving this house without this lunchbox. <laughs> Fine, mom, give me the sardines and the croutons. You know he was mad, too, when he showed up and all his friends were like, what do you got? My mama made me bring bread and fish. Ha, 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 fish boy, ha, ha. Isn't it like God? When all those men got hungry, and all the women got hungry, and all the children got hungry. We know exactly how many men were there, but God didn't have a man hand him. The, 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 he didn't bring the bread so that he could take the bread and, and bless it and break it and then hand it out and feed all the men, plus all the women, plus all the children, plus have 12 baskets left over for those disciples who were so hungry they're trying to get rid of the church. Do you remember that story? They said, they said Lord, the people are hungry. Let's just send them home. He said, no, you feed them. I mean, are you serious? We thought we were going to get out of this. But God used the child. It's just like God to use the one who's not counted in to be the only one that can be counted on. Look at these kids in here. You're holding destiny in your laps. They're not the church of the future. They're the church of right now. You bless your kids. You speak life over. You fight for your kids. Because you think you've seen God do some things through your life. You're the... You're the, you're the some of y'all are the first generation believer. 
of a godly lineage that you are establishing for your children and your children and their children and their children. I know I sound just like Carrie Job. I know. You, know, you got to tell me. You even got to tell me. What verse was I on? I forget. What things? 24? Did we get that far? Oh, we had 21. We had hoped, there it is, that he was the one. In addition, oh, wait, and what is more, I got to go back to this. This is important. Verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, so what day is it since all of it took place? Did anybody remember some of the ministry of Jesus? Do you remember when he, when, he, when he said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in what? Do you remember when he said, hey, hey, it, it's appointed for me to suffer, but on the third, third day I shall rise. If anybody of anybody knew the significance of the third day, maybe just maybe it was the followers of Jesus. What day is it? The third day. On the third day, so now we got two situations. One, they had seen him do the things the Messiah is supposed to do. Two, he had told them, I'm going to suffer, but on the third day, I'll return to you. Don't you worry. Three, let's go back to the text. He says, it's the third day. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to... They went, <laughs> they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Now, I'm no detective, but I could imagine this would be the worst time to leave Jerusalem, not the best. Okay, he did the stuff. He demonstrated the kingdom. He told us he would suffer, and on the third day, he'd be back. Women among us went to the temple because they're out there going to do some stuff while the men are, are busy praying. Praise God for the women of the church. Amen. Amen. He said, but they didn't find his body. Then they came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. So we decided to go home. You don't think they could have scrapped together the, the, like the money for a hotel room for one more night? I mean, it's a seven-mile walk. Now, I'm not one to walk. I know you're shocked by staring at my awesome physique, but listen, <laughs> I don't mind waiting a few hours. I said, oh, this is Okay. Maybe sometimes the reason some of us are not experienced promise because we have a waiting problem. Look at your neighbor and say, he must be preaching to you because I never have a waiting problem with the Lord. That's, that's got to be for you. Maybe if we're not in such a hurry, we can experience the promise. The problem is we try to assign our timeline to his promise. And that leads to disappointment, discouragement, and then we turn around and blame it on him. Well, God, we had hoped... I wonder if sometimes God's saying, well, I was hoping you'd wait. <laughs> We're preaching about those people in the other churches, not this church. Not, not this church. We wait on the Lord. I mean, seriously, how many of us were like, oh, man, hey, 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 you know, it's Pastor Freddie, God bless you. Thank you for being here. But you know, it's kickoff weekend. Uh, 
Don't worry, the Cowboys don't play till later tonight. You're fine. We get fidgety. We start looking at the timer. And he's a guest. How long is he going to preach? What if God is waiting on us to learn how to wait on him? Just a thought. Where was it? Somebody's supposed to be helping me with this. Thank you. Okay. In a, okay, so we read that. Uh, oh, they didn't find his body. Okay, here we go. Verse 25. 25. So Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I love this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. If you want to experience kingdom potential come to life in you, I think the first thing you need to understand is the first way God does that, the first way that God awakens our kingdom potential is through his word. If you're a note taker, I think I got that in a bullet point somewhere. I usually do that just to keep myself on track, but I didn't even bring my outline up here just because I'm just going to see what God wants to do. But if you're a note taker, right, through his word, if you're waiting on a word from God, start with what he already gave you. I talk to young people all the time. People say, I'm, I'm, I want a fresh word from God. I'm like, why don't you start with the concrete word from God? He's like, no, man, I want, that, I want that, 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 that rhema word. I'm like, good, good. You need to get familiar with the voice as recorded so you can understand the voice when it's spoken. Because God's spoken word will never contradict his written word. And I've seen some people say some crazy stuff in church. Can we admit, us church people can get really crazy sometimes, right? Is that fair? If not, hang out long enough, you'll see. We get, we get weird. Man, I've been in places people say, oh, all the Lord is saying. I'm like, I don't think that's the Lord. I heard a preacher one time say that a, a woman in his church came up to, me, to, up to him, and she said to him, she said, Pastor, the Lord has told me that you're going to be my husband. And he said, I, I don't think that's the Lord. And she said, no, 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 I heard from the Lord. You're going to be my husband. He said, well, there's a problem with that. It's my wife. God's never going to give you a word that violates a covenant. That's right. That is right. Yeah. The Lord is crazy, right? I told you, church people, we can be crazy. I, hey, you're here on a Sunday at church on a beautiful day. You're already crazy. You might as well go all the way crazy and just open up to the Spirit of God. Amen. But sometimes we get in the middle of that, and sometimes that freaks. I, I get it. I know. I'm, God is weird enough. I don't have to help him be weird. Right? Is that fair? Okay. Move on. He, he, so he's teaching them all the things about himself concerning himself. That is the greatest sermon that I haven't got to hear. Could you imagine walking? I would love to be a fly on the wall. I would love to be one of those people lurking and listening in on someone else's conversation to hear that message. Could you imagine Jesus? We're probably going to stay here. I, I don't even know. I got some other points, but we could email them to you or whatever. I think we need to hang out right here. Is that all right? Because I believe God has a word for you concerning himself. And I love it because they're discouraged. They were waiting on a promise. It didn't happen the way they expected. So they're staring at the dirt. And they're walking home. 
They're going back to Emmaus. They're on a journey of discouragement and disappointment. Some of us in this room right now are on a journey of discouragement and disappointment. And sometimes the best thing that we can do when we don't know what we don't know is stop and look back at what we do know. And his name is Jesus. And he is a man of his word. His promises are yes and amen. There is no wavering with him. So when I don't know what I don't know, I start focusing on who I do know. And I look at what he says concerning himself. Could you imagine Jesus saying, hey, you guys, uh, how slow you, I love the way he said it, how foolish of you. Because a lot of times we think of Jesus, he's going to show up with like puppy dogs and rainbows, right? I love this because it's a juxtaposition of, of correction and grace. It's grace because they've left Jerusalem instead of waiting on the fulfillment of the promise. With all the knowledge they had, they're still acting like people who had no hope. You catching the tension? They're followers. They knew he was the Messiah. They'd seen him do miracles. But then they saw him get crucified. And with his crucifixion, their hope was crucified. But they didn't wait for the promise. So they're walking home. Do you notice that Jesus meets them on the road? All the actions in Jerusalem. This is where everything's going down. The Jerusalem... Read it. The Jerusalem is where the angels told the people to stay and wait. They're going to Emmaus. What does Jesus do? I love that I serve a God who didn't look at them and say, well, they didn't wait. It's on them. No, he walked alongside them on their journey of discouragement, and he met them right where they were. He didn't say, when you get back to Jerusalem, then I'm going to let you know until then figure it out. No, he meets us when we're by ourselves in a room full of people. He meets us when no one else knows the hope that has died inside of us. He meets us in his grace and his mercy and his power. And he says, you might not understand all of what's going on, but what you need to know is who you know. And he takes them through Moses and the prophets, and all the scriptures. He goes, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which I think is hilarious, because if you read the end of Numbers or Deuteronomy, somewhere in there it says, and Moses was the most humble man on earth. Did you ever catch that? I think that's in Numbers, somewhere in the middle of Numbers 14, maybe, something like that. Moses wrote the book of Numbers, and Moses was the most humble man on earth. There's, there's subtle stuff in there. I'm glad God uses broken men to do incredible things. God's not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people to do extraordinary things through. Moses was the most humble man on earth. You ever read the gospel of John? John how does John describe himself in his gospel? The one whom Jesus loved. There's some shade in there, right? The gospel of John is the one that tells us when the women came back from the tomb and they said the tomb is empty, it says, so Peter took off running and then the one whom Jesus loved took off running. And then it tells us the one whom Jesus loved arrived at the tomb and waited for Peter to arrive. <laughs> Do you see that? The subtlety, the shade is real. Basically, he could have just said, and Peter was slower than me. Beginning with Moses, 
the book of Genesis. I wonder if Jesus said, hey, you remember Genesis, the Torah, the account of Genesis? You remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Do you remember what happens in Genesis chapter 3? I don't have the slides for this. I don't have, but I'm just going to flip to it. Do you remember in Genesis when they were in the garden and, and now they're ashamed because of the result of their sin and they're hiding in their nakedness and the Lord says, where are you? And they say, we hid from you because we're ashamed. And he says, why are you ashamed? And they said, because we're naked. And, 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 and God said, who told you you were naked? Something's wrong. Because what God had created in beauty and purity now had been corrupted. And I wonder if Jesus is talking to Cleophas and the other person. Some scholars think it was his wife. We don't know who it was. Uh, but I wonder if he says, hey, can we go back to the beginning? Can we connect some dots? You remember when that happened? Do you remember when the Bible tells us that the Lord God, Genesis 3.21, made garments of skin? for Adam and his wife Eve, and he clothed them? Where do you think that skin came from? Hey, hey, Cleophas, an unnamed friend. Do you realize that from the very beginning, the first time there was sin, there was a blood sacrifice to cover the result of sin? I wonder if that's pointing to something. Hey, do you remember Genesis 3.15 where it said the seed of the woman would, would crush the head of the devil, the serpent? Do you, do you remember that? I, I wonder if that's pointing to something. Because the way I understand biology, and hopefully I'm not ruining biology class for anybody this year, but, 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 but humanity is birthed not from the seed of a woman, but, but from the seed of a man and the egg of a woman. Every human being who's ever been created comes from the egg of a woman and the seed of a man. And except for one. You see, in Genesis 3, I'm going to go read it for you. Genesis 3.15 says this. It says, and I will put enmity. God is talking to the devil, the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And that word offspring, the Hebrew, is seed. So, so your, verse, your, your translation might have like a little letter next to it. That's because the original language there, and they, they were confused when they translated it because women typically have egg and men have seed. But what they didn't understand is this is actually the first prophecy of the Messiah who would crush the head of the devil because in all of humanity, only one human being has ever been created by the seed of the woman. It was the seed of her faith in the word of God that impregnated her womb and Jesus is the only human to have ever been born of the seed of a woman. And at the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent. We're just three chapters in. I want to hear the rest of that sermon. We don't have 14 hours today. But I wonder if he took him to Exodus. And he said, hey, guys, Cleophas, unnamed friend. Let's pick a name for the friend. It's just weird saying that. Somebody give me a name. Mike, okay, Cleophas and Mike. That sounds very biblical, Mike. That's a, I see you studied Hebrew and Greek, amen. I said, hey, guys, you remember Exodus? 
You know how you were just celebrating the Passover and you had to go find a lamb and you had to find a spotless lamb and you had to shed the blood of that lamb and you had to wipe that blood on the doorpost uh, as a symbol and a remembrance of when God delivered the nation from bondage in Egypt. Hey, you know about that spotless lamb? Yeah, do you, do you, do you know, have you heard the prophecy about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth? Oh, I wonder if those two are connected. Blood is shed to pass, so that the curse passes over Oh, guess what just happened? Passover. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were just having Passover dinner this past week. I know you guys aren't detectives, but do you think maybe, just maybe, just maybe those are correlated? Here's a thought. Do you remember when Moses had to take a serpent and fasten it in, in the, in, on the top of a pole? And, and when the people were bit by snakes in the wilderness, they had to stare at that. And do you remember when Jesus was talking, I believe, to Nicodemus, right? And he said, he said just as the, as the serpent pole was lifted in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Hey, do you guys remember when, when that's Jesus you're talking about was lifting up on the cross? Maybe, just maybe, that had something to do with the prophet Isaiah who said that the suffering servant would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the penalty that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I, I, I wonder if those have anything to do with each other. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this law that demonstrates our ungodliness and the need for a sacrifice. Hey, what about Joshua? You remember when Joshua got put in charge? Remember when Joshua was, was getting ready to battle Jericho and he was walking around and there he runs into somebody with a sword and he's like, hey, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And what did that person say? The angel of the Lord is the title in the Old Testament. And when you read the angel of the Lord, you know you're not reading about just another angel. Because the angel of the Lord had a sword on his side. And when Joshua, it's in Joshua, you can go study this for yourself. You should. Joshua runs into him. Joshua's been fighting for 40 years. He's a, he's a battle-hardened warrior. He's like, I led the army in the wilderness. Are you for us or are you for our enemy? What, what did the angel of the Lord say? Neither. Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. What do we read in Revelation? Who's the commander of the Lord's army? I'll give you a clue. He rides in on a great white horse and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of truth. And he rides in victory and he has a sash. I believe it's a tattoo because it says it's on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we know his name is Jesus. And this angel of the Lord, when Joshua runs into him in the wilderness, says, are you for us or for our enemy? He says, neither. I command the Lord's army. And here's how you're going to fight because the battle is already won. I have secured the victory. You follow my instructions. You see, God was not the sword in Joshua's hand. Joshua was the sword in God's hand. Don't get it twisted or you'll find some problems. He says, Joshua, you just walk around the city for seven days and, on the, and then you shout. He says, what? Yeah, but then we're going to give up all of our advantage. They're going to know how many people we got. They're going to, your greatest advantage is shouting to the Lord. And I wonder if he went from Joshua. We could go on and on and on and on. For the sake of time, I invite you to do that study yourself. Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. Imagine a kinsman who would come to redeem a nation. Malachi, 
the last prophet before the New Testament. 400 years of silence. Can I tell you what happened in 400 years of silence? Malachi, there's a verse in there, and it says the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will arise with healing in its rays. For 400 years, that became a prophetic word where people were waiting for the Messiah. And there was a belief that developed in those 400 years of silence. Because how many of y'all know, church people, we haven't changed much. When we don't know what's going on, we make up our own story. So we're talking about them other churches, not this one. 400 years, they, had, they were waiting on a Messiah. And during that 400 years, there's this really cool tradition that, that developed among the Jewish people. The rabbis, they would wear these prayer shawls, and on the corner of them were these tassels with knots on them. And when they prayed, they would rub them in their fingers, and that would pull the fabric out of the, the prayer shawl, and, and it would make them longer. That's why when Jesus said, don't pray like the Pharisees, they drag... The, the, they drag the tassels of their, their prayer garments in the, the road to show everybody how righteous they are. That, that edge of the garment is, is called a, a tzitzi, and it's on a tallit. Those are the Hebrew words. And the tallit is a prayer shawl, and the edge had these tzitzis. And, and, and so there was a, a prophecy that was kind of, people were trying to figure it out. And by the time Jesus showed up, there was like this, this kind of church urban legend, if you will, a, a historical tradition that one of the ways the Messiah would be demonstrated as a Messiah, you see, I forgot to tell you this part, but when, 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 they would, when the rabbis would read, they would take their prayer shawls and they would open them like this. And when they went into their prayer closet during the festival of tents, they would cover their head and they'd pray underneath their prayer shawl. And, and so they would open, and, and so there, it was called their wings. And so there was this prophecy that, that all of a sudden got kind of, kind of tried to, they tried to sort it out. And there was this belief that when Messiah showed up, there would be healing power in the tassels that hung off the edge of his prayer shawl. And so Jesus shows up 400 years later. And do you remember the story of the woman who had been suffering an issue of blood for 12 years? And she said, what, if I just touch the tzitzi of his tallit, I will be made whole. One of the weirdest, weirdest miracles in the Bible because Jesus is like, whoa, someone just grabbed a hold of me and they knew who I am. I wasn't planning on preaching it, so I can't quote the scripture off the top of my head, but I feel it in the room. Jesus stops and he said, someone just grabbed a hold of my essence. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, we're going through a crowd of people, Lord. There's people, what do you mean who touched you? He said, no, somebody grabbed a hold of me. And they believe that I'm the Messiah. They grabbed a hold of my essence. That, that lady reaching through the crowd that she should not even have been in religiously because she was impure, touching a rabbi, which could have got her killed. But for the first time in the history of humanity, the cleanliness of God overrode the, the uncleanliness of somebody with a medical condition. Amen. She's healed. Yes. We had hoped. She had hoped. And her hope was realized. They had hoped, and their hope was met with some disappointment because they didn't understand. But let's go back and finish this. We had hoped. How foolish. Let me break it down for you. Let's connect some dots. As they approach the bit, we're almost done, kids, I promise. I know some kids are dreaming of tacos. That's okay. That's right. Me too. I'm preaching to myself. As they approach the village, to which they were going, Jesus 
continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. Day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, what does he do? He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Why did he disappear from their sight? Because he met them where they were, but he had given them instruction on where to be. Whew. God will meet you where you are, but he wants you to go where you're supposed to be. Thank you, Lord. That's the right now word. You see, he did what he did when the little boy had the bread. He took the bread and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples. He did it with 4,000 another time. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. He did it at the Passover meal with the disciples as he's about to be betrayed. He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples. But this time he takes the bread, he blesses the bread and maybe as he broke the bread, they saw those holes in his wrist and they said, could it be? That our hope is alive. Our hope is alive. And then they said, did our hearts not burn as he shared the scriptures with us? Pay attention when scripture is being shared and your heart is burning because it's a holy deposit. He took the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and their eyes were opened. And then he disappeared. God will meet you where you are right now. But if he's told you where you're supposed to be, he'll meet you there. And the next time they see him, they're in Jerusalem where they're supposed to be. And then he appears to them. If you're here, it's because you're supposed to be here. I'm curious, are you here in heart? Are you here in mind? And are you here in spirit? I'm going to pray for you guys right now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for your majesty and your goodness. We thank you for your grace that finds us on the road of despair and despondency. We thank you, Lord, that you will chase us down, that you will rescue us from ourselves. You will speak to our disappointment. Even now, Lord, we thank you for the deposit of hope for the hopeless. Where we had hoped, Father God, may new life be realized. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name for families struggling right now. Lord, I pray right now for families who have been crying for their children. I pray right now, Father God, for marriages that are hanging on by a thread. I pray for the spouses that are here by themselves. Give them fresh hope, God. We thank you, God, that heaven is a wellspring of joy. And when we dry up, all we have to do is access you. May you deposit just fresh joy. Lord, I pray for the people in here who are struggling at work right now. Lord, may they just recognize that you smile upon them and you bless the work of their hand. And they don't work for whoever gives them a paycheck. They work for you. And that you will honor them. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, we just, speak, we just say yes, Lord. Your promises are yes. We speak amen. May the amen be realized through our lives, Lord God. May it be realized through our lives, Lord God. 
In Jesus' name, we thank you in advance for the testimonies that will come from this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.